The Tempering of Souls. Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, and she called us to live to a higher standard each day. Not satisfied with just a little religion, and well, that's a shallow substitute for what God wants. This series will continue, Lord willing, in the coming weeks, hearing from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and her message. Today we continue our extended series into the life of Amy Carmichael. She was an Irish missionary to India who wrote over three dozen books. We have a couple special guests as well. We'll hear from Walt Shepard, the son-in-law of Elizabeth, as uh, from the 2015 Wheaton Memorial Service, he talks about his first meeting with Elizabeth Elliot. Also, we'll hear from longtime friend Juana Michaels, friend of Lars and Elizabeth. She'll talk about suffering, a child born blind, and Romans. That coming up later. First, though, it's The Tempering of Souls 1, as we continue looking at the life of Amy Carmichael. It has to do with the training of children and workers. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you this time about the tempering of souls. That's a phrase that Amy Carmichael used often in speaking of the training of the children that God had given her to care for and also of those that she had to train to care for the children. Amy Carmichael was an Irish missionary who spent 53 years in South India without ever leaving for a furlough because God had given her a work among the children who had been dedicated to the Hindu temples for immoral purposes. She became the mother of a tremendous family, almost 900 altogether at one point. And as the Tamil proverb says, children tie the mother's feet. So she was unable to leave. It's my hope in these talks that Amy's ardent, loving, courageous, and utterly non-self-pitying heart will be revealed in the story and will awaken you and me to the deep meaning of the cross. When I think of the influence that this amazing woman has had in my own life, I would crystallize it by saying that she taught me the way of the cross. She taught me in the most practical, down-to-earth, livable way what it means to take up the cross and follow Jesus Christ. She felt that there were far too many run-of-the-mill Christians, cool, respectable, satisfied with the usual and the mediocre. What she wanted to give back to God in these children was Damascus blades. A Damascus blade is a very fine kind of steel, and it has to be forged in extremes of heat and cold. It's famous for its hardness and elasticity. The training that went on at Donavur, the little village in South India where her work took place, was fire and ice to forge blades for what only a blade of that temper can do. I wonder how much of that forging we do in the training of our children. Do we attempt to protect them from all difficulty? 
all suffering? If we do that, which of course it's a mother's instinct to do, to protect a child from every kind of difficulty and suffering, then are we really preparing them to meet life head-on, to wage the warfare that's necessary if we're going to stand against evil in our day? Amy Carmichael sought to teach perseverance, truthfulness, courage, unselfishness, and strength in her children. She wanted them to be both hard and elastic. As I look around in today's world, I don't see a whole lot of perseverance, stick to When it feels good, people are willing to do it. When it doesn't feel good, forget it. If at first you don't succeed, quit. That seems to be the maxim of some of today's generations, and I certainly don't exclude my generation. But God wants perseverance. He wants faithfulness, loyalty, the willingness to stick with the job that he has given us. I've been in positions myself where I just felt as if I couldn't go on any longer. It didn't make any sense. I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't accomplishing anything very visible. And yet, I had to realize that that was a place where God had put me And because he had led me there and assigned me to this task, then I had to persevere in the task until and unless there was overwhelming guidance to change, to do something else, to make a new decision. I think of truthfulness and how hard and pure my own father and mother were about this matter. I had my mouth washed out with soap more than once when I was a little girl, because I told a lie. And in my father's book, there was no such thing as a white lie. All lies were black, and we were taught a strict and delicate truthfulness. The same thing was true of Amy Carmichael in her training of her children. Courage. Whatever happened to courage? We don't hear a whole lot about that anymore either. When young people talk to me about the possibility of going to the mission field, they have all sorts of fears that they want to discuss. Well, what did you do in the jungle? I mean, did you have vampire bats and poisonous snakes and scorpions and things like that? And I always smile and I say, well, of course, those are the things that live in the jungle. And if you're going to live in the jungle, you're going to have to get along in a place where those things are all constant dangers. But where God calls you to go is the only place of safety in the whole world. It really doesn't take a whole lot of courage to recognize that you're safe in his hands, even in the most seemingly dangerous spot in the world. The will of God is the only safe place in the world. It's the only happy place in the world. Courage is not, as someone has said, the absence of fear. It is the willingness to do the thing you fear. Unselfishness. Isn't that something that has to be taught line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, every day with your children, not to mention with ourselves. Every day there are dozens of choices to make between ourselves and Jesus Christ. Unselfishness. That's what it means 
in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. And we, in our turn, must lay down our lives for each other. Unselfishness is the way of the cross. Strength, hard and elastic. The purer the aim, Amy Carmichael discovered, the more vehement the opposition. We are indeed going to be thought rather peculiar. But her aim was to lead children out of themselves and into service for others. That should be our aim as well. She taught her children to work. She taught them real work. Every child, no matter how small, had to learn to polish his own brass vessel. These children had very few things in Donavour, but each one had his brass vessel for his food and drink. Each one had a straw mat on which he slept at night on the tile floor. And she said that work was always mixed with play, even for the toddlers. The smallest child could learn to tidy the bungalow or help to peel palm shoots. Others husked rice, picked tamarind fruit, cleaned the rice vessels. And Amy had a way of writing little songs that the children could sing while they were working. This is one of them. Jesus, Savior, dost thou see when I'm doing work for thee? Common things, not great and grand, carrying stones and earth and sand. I did common work, you know, many, many years ago, and I don't forget. I see everything you do for me. Let me repeat the last line. Some of you might want to just take that down and teach these words to your children. Jesus answered to the child, I did common work, you know, many, many years ago. And I don't forget, I see everything you do for me. This concept made the children particular about the backs of places, Amy said. And another thing that she taught them was that a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in little things is a very great thing. Not very long ago when I was visiting my grandchildren, my daughter Valerie asked Elizabeth to give a bottle to Evangeline. Evangeline was in the process of being weaned, and they had discovered that she had to have goat's milk. So Valerie had fixed the bottle of goat's milk and asked Elizabeth to give it to Evangeline. Elizabeth is 10 years old. Evangeline just turned one. And Elizabeth rolled her eyes and shrugged her shoulders, and she said, Oh, Mom, I've given her about a million bottles. And I said to Elizabeth, If this were the baby Jesus, would you feel differently about giving him the bottle? And she looked a little sheepish, and she said, Well, I guess so. Amy Carmichael never believed in rewarding children except with harder work. The highest reward that a child could hope for would be to be given greater responsibility and more difficult work. There was no such thing as tips in Donovor. And the word got around that Donovor people would help those who had no money. This was unheard of in South India, and it became a testimony. I read some passages the other day from Amy's little classic called If. I want you to know that that book is available, 
And those of you who are ordering A Chance to Die can find a list in the back of that book, of her books, which are available. And if is available, I would hope that your Christian bookstore carries it. One selection from that little book. If I avoid being plowed under with all that such plowing entails of rough handling, isolation, uncongenial situations, strange tests, then I know nothing of Calvary love. The tempering of souls, it involves hardship, courage, being plowed under, sometimes isolation, uncongenial situations, and strange tests. But they give us the chance to learn Calvary love. Well, as we continue the 24-part look into the life of Amy Carmichael, that was The Tempering of Souls, Part 1. Well, Elizabeth Elliot's son-in-law, Walt Shepard, spoke at the Wheaton Memorial Service in 2015. He tells us what happened when he first met Elizabeth. It was one night up at the seminary campus up at Gordon-Conwell. I was supposed to be studying Greek, going over some vocabulary because I just knew inevitability was going to just catch me uh, unprepared for a pop quiz the next day. And instead of going to study my vocabulary, I went to hear a lady address some remarks to a man who was a liberation theologian on campus, and uh, the seminary had asked one of the professor's wives to come and, and counter him, debate him. And guys were taking bets up on the hill, we called Gordon Conwell back then, about just how outclassed or outnumbered the lady would be. I had to go see. So I went there and I watched an amazing presentation by this lady after this gentleman gave his presentation. And so afterwards, everybody's filing out. I was just stunned. I'd never seen anything like this. And I went up to her in my jeans and fringe jacket, hair. That's about all I could do good back then. (laughs) All I could do well was grow hair. And I went up to her and I said, Ma'am, I've never seen anything like it. You cleaned his clock. I just wish I could hug you. And I realized what I was saying about then. And I took off, and in a manly run, I ran out of there. (laughs) It was about a year later, little under a year later, I needed a place to stay, and this lady, the wife of the professor, needed someone to help her with her second husband who was dying of cancer. And I'd had some hospital experience. I had been an orderly for a summer, and the dean of students wanted to connect me with this lady named Mrs. Leach at that time. She called me one day. I was sleeping on a sofa in one of my friend's apartments. And uh, I thought, oh no, what have I done wrong now? She said, I want to interview you. And I just, I didn't have a rosary, (laughs) but I wanted one. And I, with fear and trembling, went for the interview, and she told me what she wanted to interview me about, but I wanted that job so bad because I didn't like sleeping on the sofa. And my buddy didn't like me there either. 
And one of her questions was very simply stated, but it was this way. I'm a meticulous house cleaner. Does that pose any problems with you? (laughs) And my life flashed before me, and I thought, meticulous, 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 meticulous. And I immediately said, I'm sure it was a lie. No, ma'am, it doesn't pose any problems at all. She said, well, you're hired. How soon can you move in? And so shortly after, I moved in. And I learned from then on what meticulous meant. (laughs) Over and over and over again. I was her houseboy, even though Dr. Leach died two nights after I moved in. Surrounded by the story. Albums, huge albums of black and whites of that jungle life she lived in Ecuador. And always that little blonde girl right in the middle of everything. There was a painting, a a print of a famous painting of the prodigal son homecoming. And I thought to myself, that's my story. And she spent a lot of time with me in those first two, three weeks. One day at breakfast, she looked across the table and she says, I I know you from somewhere. I went, oh no, I don't think so. (laughs) She said, yeah, 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 those eyes. I I know you from somewhere. And I said, oh ma'am, no, 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 ma'am, no, no. And she says, I want to know something. Why didn't you hug me? (laughs) This was a different kind of lady for me, all woman. But driven by what C.S. Lewis refers to as a severe mercy, with a fierce passion to serve that mercy with a capital M, with a fierce response to that mercy to love, obey, and serve with all her heart that mercy. And she wanted to spend time with me, trying her best to not just just teach me meticulous, to get me on the path where I too could pursue the goal that her life was all about. Pastor Walt Shepard, son-in-law of Elizabeth. Well, as we uh, look forward to later in the program, we see that Juana Michaels, a longtime friend of Lars Gren and Elizabeth Elliot Gren, uh, well, she'll join us to talk about suffering, about a child born blind, and about Romans. Right now, though, it's part two of the Tempering of Souls series. That's just a, a small part of our extended series on the life of Irish missionary to India, Amy Carmichael. What is this about the tempering of souls? Well, it relates to steel blades, ice water, and fire. The tempering of souls. I use that metaphor from the tempering of very famous swords called Damascus blades. In order to temper that steel to its hardness and elasticity, they have to be plunged into ice water and then into fire, alternately, ice water and fire. Amy Carmichael's aim in the training of her children was to teach them to be willing to take any hard thing 
anywhere, anytime, to teach them to come out of themselves and to lay down their lives for the sake of others. Is this principle going to sell in America? Probably not. I don't think it has ever been very saleable. But it is the way of the cross. It's what Jesus called his disciples to do. In the world, he said, you will have tribulation. But never mind, cheer up, be of good courage, he said, I have overcome the world. In what sense had he overcome the world? Does it mean that there was no hardship in his life? Well, obviously not. Amy had all kinds of wonderful ideas about training her children. She loved children. She was a delightful playmate with them at times. She was also their mother. And one of the things that was a rule in Donavour was that music was never an accompaniment to conversation. If there was music, then conversation had to cease, and everyone learned to be quiet and to listen. She believed strongly in scripture and hymn memorization, and the children learned hundreds of scripture verses and hundreds of hymns and songs. They were taught to work. They were given vegetable and fruit and flower gardens, and when they grew the fruit and the flowers and the vegetables, then they were sold to the housekeeper. There was a housekeeper in charge of all the supplies for this very large family that numbered as many as 700 children at one point with over 200 workers. And so the children were permitted to sell their vegetables and fruit and flowers to the housekeeper. The money was put into little clay banks which were ceremoniously smashed once a year. Excellent way of teaching your children how to use money, the value of money, give them the opportunity of earning money, and then teach them to save it. She didn't believe in long prayer meetings. Some of the things that I've said about Amy Carmichael may make you think that she was so spiritual that she was just way out of sight, way beyond being very practical. Nothing could be further from the truth, actually. She remembered the long prayer meetings of her childhood and how she used to pass the time by counting up in the hymn book, for example, all the things a dying soul is supposed to say at the exact moment of departure. Things like, and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. She was convinced that that sweet hour of prayer must be the prayer meeting that she was having to sit through. And it was a delightful prospect to her that someday she was going to be able to say farewell to that. She remembered the firstly, secondly, thirdly, and finally, and in conclusion of those long Irish sermons. And she decided that she would spare her children such pains. Meetings would be short. The space of half an hour, the Bible says, sufficed in heaven for the ultimate act of adoration, silence. You can check that out in Revelation verse 1 of chapter 8. Silence followed the opening of the seventh seal, and there was silence for the space of half an hour. Why shouldn't it suffice in Donavour? For, as Amy said, the human soul should not be drawn out like a piece of elastic and held so for too long a stretch. A mother needs to root her children strongly. 
and the tree with the strongest roots is the tree on which the winds have blown. And when the winds blow, the roots take an even firmer grip. She taught discipline and hardness to prospective recruits as well. I have read hundreds of the letters that she wrote to people who had volunteered to come and serve in Donavour. And this is what she wrote to one of them. Not a word of attraction can I write. It will be desperately hard work. Iron would snap under the strain of it. I ask for steel, that quality which is at the back of all going on, patience which cannot be tired out, and love that loves in very deed unto death. And it was not only of foreigners that she expected this. Some newly converted caste men, Indian men, were set to work hewing stones and digging foundations for the forest house in the presence of low-caste coolies, a terrible insult unheard of in India for a man to do work that belonged to a caste below his own. So no sterner test could have been applied to prove the validity of their faith, and Amy wanted to prove the validity of their faith. She said grace in teaspoons would have sufficed for a preaching tour. In other words, if she had asked these newly converted caste men if they would like to go on a preaching tour, it would have taken only a few teaspoons of grace for them to assent. It is honorable to preach, wrote Amy, who had seen enough of those who followed Christianity for its prestige. But ditch digging, that was another story. Ditch digging lends dignity to nobody. Grace in rivers was required for this, she said. And day by day she watched them grow in manliness. What do you think of as the dirtiest, most humble, and undesirable job? Would you be willing to do that for the sake of Jesus Christ? Amy Carmichael looked for those with the Spirit of Christ who was willing to wash the disciples' feet. One of the questions that she would ask prospective recruits was, do you truly desire to live a crucified life? Referring, of course, to Paul's word in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you desire to live a crucified life? Where do you expect to find that cross? It will be in your ordinary, everyday duties. At home, first of all, in your place of work, in the grocery store, on the bus, in your driving on the highways. Is the rule of your life my life for yours? Or is it, I'm going to do my thing and I can climb all over you in order to make myself feel good? A crucified life is a total identification with Christ in his death. It may mean death to my neat little plans. It will undoubtedly mean for all of us at times interruptions, setbacks, and for my husband Lars and me, occasionally canceled flights. All are meant to temper our souls. 
Another question that she wrote to her recruits was, does the thought of hardness draw or repel you? Can you tell me any experience which brought you into a new union with the crucified, risen, and enthroned Lord? And then she wrote in capital letters, do not come unless you can say the cross is the attraction. Another one of Amy's marvelous little books is called His Thoughts Said, His Father Said. And the books that I'm quoting to you during these programs are all in print. She wrote about 40 books. Only 14 of them are in print. But I'm quoting from books which are in print. So run to your nearest bookstore and see if you can find them. And if you can't, you make sure that your bookseller orders them for you. This is from one called His Thoughts Said. The father said, Art thou willing to be crucified? The son answered, By thy grace I am willing. And incidentally, son is with a small letter, not a capital. So she's not referring to Jesus here. These are dialogues between God and a human being, undoubtedly herself, but she uses a masculine noun. His father said, Art thou willing to let thy Lord choose thy cross? and the nails that shall pierce thy hands and thy feet? The son answered, My Lord shall choose what he will. His father said, Art thou willing that thy house on earth may be a little emptier, so that my house may be the fuller? The son was silent for a while. At last he answered, I am willing. Then the father loved the son very dearly. Another one. His thoughts said, I could do better work for my Lord if it were not that I am tired. I am tired of being tired. His father said, Jesus, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. Art thou not willing to be wearied with thy journey? Many are wearied in the service of self, the world, earthly glory. Thou art loosed from that bondage. Rejoice in thy liberty to be weary for his sake who loved thee and gave himself for thee. Abide in his love, and thou shalt learn to give as he gave, even in weariness, to live as he lived, more than conqueror over the flesh. The tempering of souls. May God help us to be Damascus blades. The second part of The Tempering of Souls on the Amy Carmichael story. Well, before we go, let's hear from author and longtime friend of Lars and Elizabeth, Juana Michaels. She'll talk about suffering, a child born blind, and about Romans. And of course, like most parents, when your child is born, you want to know that everything is okay in those first few minutes. And I'm remembering how Romans 8.28 came to my mind in the minutes after Mary was born and we discovered that she was born blind, that God works all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to God's purpose. And Elizabeth so many times had said that God was shaping all things into this pattern for good. Not that all things were good, but that he would work all things out for his good, our good, and for his glory. And in my mind, it was as if I could just hear God saying in those early hours, Juana, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And how often Elizabeth had spoken of trusting and obeying. <laughs> 
author and friend of Elizabeth, Juana Michaels. Well, our time is quickly coming to an end, but let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, your jogging routine. Maybe we could join you next time if you didn't think about that. Wherever we find you, thanks for being a part of our listening family. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources at elizabethelliot.org. A lot there for you. elizabethelliot.org. And leave us a review the next time you go and listen to this podcast. One listener said, I am so thankful for this podcast through her books. Elizabeth Elliot has been like a mentor afar during my whole life. Well, thanks for joining us and come back next time for more. As we remind you that you're loved with an everlasting love, underneath are the everlasting arms.